You see, J.D. Vance has already endorsed Donald Trump for president in 2024. The new Ohio senator is just off to a tremendous start. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Laura Johnston, Lisa Garvin, and Layla Tassi. It's another big day of news on Tuesday. Let's get to it. Laura, how is failed Senate candidate Mike Gibbons now trying to use his money to single-handedly steer Ohio into even more conservative territory by punishing Republicans who do not agree with his far-right agenda? Well, he wants to push out Jason Stevens, the Speaker of the House, and all of the 21 Republican backers who chose him for that job. So he is relaunching his political action committee called Ohio Strong Action. You probably remember Mike Gibbons. He funded his own Senate campaign last year, and he spent about $18 million of his own money. Now he spent about more than $500,000 on Ohio Strong Action, including $45,000 in December. And it's this, it's a pack, and he wants to recruit and support opponents for pro-Stevens Republicans. And then he's got his own policy areas that he wants to promote, the very conservative policies. What's strange about this is it's the my way or the highway. If you don't walk in lockstep, the Republicans, they're going to they're gonna take you out. Because these Republicans didn't walk in exact lockstep with their colleagues, they're going to have opposition from within their own party. I mean, it's it's like authoritarian government. They don't want to have any voices that are not completely in lockstep. So he's going to spend his millions to try and take them out. Right. Basically to control the entire state legislature, because here's what he wants to do. He wants to, quote, defend the state constitution. That's an effort to raising the voter approval threshold for constitutional amendments. So he wants to make it harder for voters to change the constitution, basically because of a brewing abortion rights ballot measure that we could see this year. And they also promote parent choice and education, oppose abortion, and defend women's sports, which is a reference to that legislation that bars transgender athletes from participating in girls and women's sports. So basically, he just wants to buy the legislature so he can get what he wants. I, I don't really understand the end game. I mean, he ran for Senate, like the U.S. Senate, not the Ohio Senate. So why, why does he care so much about the Ohio House? And I don't know, but it's just distressing how much big money is playing into deciding what happens in Ohio instead of leaving it to the voters. Strange, strange turn of events in this continuing saga with the Republican Party in Columbus. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What's behind Larry Householder's attorneys raising questions about the fitness of a federal court judge to oversee Householder's corruption trial? Lisa, the Householder trial started again on Tuesday after its COVID break. What's this about? This is all about bad vibes. One of Larry Household attorneys, Mark Marin, says he's getting such bad vibes from federal judge Timothy Black as a child, as you said, resumed today after a one-week COVID delay. Tuesday, I should say. So um, he, he basically questioned Black's fitness to oversee the trial. He said there might be some personal animosity towards Householder after Householder worked to defeat Black in a run for the Ohio Supreme Court 20 years ago. 
And Black just had a very short little response. He says, I am fit to preside. You know, as you remember, as trial, as the opening arguments began last week in this trial, he admonished householders' attorneys for their disruptive Bush League behavior during opening arguments for the prosecution where they were clicking pens and making faces and all that kind of stuff. And then there was a heated exchange over one juror who refused to wear a mask after they returned from that one-week COVID delay. So the jury pool of 16 is now 15 because they dismissed that juror, and there was quite a bit of a controversy over that. Before the trial delay, only the spectator, spectators were required to wear masks, but now the entire courtroom, except for witnesses and questioning attorneys, have to be masked. Yeah, I, this one was a, attacking the judge in your trial. Never really a wise move unless it's about setting the groundwork for the appeal, which is almost like concession. We're going to lose this trial. Let's build up as much animosity as we can to get the appeal, which might explain why the attorneys acted like schoolroom children during the opening statement of the prosecutor. Maybe it was a plot to build the evidence for an appeal. And to go to a Republican appeals judge, right? Right. right. We'll see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. One of the more controversial Ohio stories of the week is a homeschooler who is training children to be racist, homophobic Nazis. We talked about Mike Gibbons wanting to bring authoritarian government. This is right up his alley. What do educators say about this, Layla? Oh, man. This couple, Logan and Katya Lawrence of Upper Sandusky, has been condemned by politicians and education officials for for running what they say is a neo-Nazi homeschooling group on social media. Apparently, they have 2,600 followers. They were first identified by a group of anti-fascist researchers known as the Anonymous Comrades Collective. Apparently, the Lawrences were hosting a neo-Nazi podcast under the names Mr. and Mrs. Saxon. So their, their Telegram channel started in October of 2021. It's called Dissident Homeschool, and it has suggested content that's racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic, and it's actually factually inaccurate, too. It, it includes cursive practice sheets with quotes from Adolf Hitler suggested content about Confederate General Robert E. Lee and civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and which included an unfounded conspiracy about Jewish people. And the Telegram channel offers a suggested math lesson with a story problem attributing crime to different races. And when this group reached a 1,000 subscribers a couple months after they launched, Katya Lawrence posted a picture of children giving the Hitler hand salute, and she wrote, it fills my heart with joy to know there is such a strong base of homeschoolers and homeschool-interested national socialists hail victory. So the Ohio Department of Education said that it is actively reviewing compliance with statutory and regulatory requirements, but it's really unclear what that means as it relates to the Lawrence family or the school that they're running. And, um, you know, Democrats in the state house say that this couple has been able to design this racist curriculum because the state's homeschooling laws are pretty weak and they could get weaker with Senate Bill 1, they say, this massive piece of legislation that would overhaul the Ohio Department of Education and, and gut the Ohio State Board of Education in that bill is a provision that would make it harder for the state to regulate homeschools. If this bill passes, homeschool rules would have to be changed through legislation instead of through the state's rulemaking process. 
We should point out, this is not a charter school. They're not getting tax money. It's a couple of wackadoo parents that want their children to be Nazis. They're getting lots of attention now. Uh, it is surprising that a thousand people are on the website. What they should have done is advertise themselves as people that want to defend the Constitution and protect women's sports. Then they might have escaped <laughs> this kind of outrage, right? That's a good point. If they just aligned themselves with those Republican populist ideas a little more <laughs> closely, they could have avoided this. But I think Nazism is something that absolutely no one in state government is going to be willing to get behind and, and support. Yeah, the Nazi salute, too. Probably you don't want to do that either because that is going to bring the derision that they're getting universally now. I, I'm not sure how the state can regulate it because even if the, the parents took that out of their daytime curriculum, they're still the parents. They could still train their kids to be racist, homophobic Nazis, right? Sure. But I don't you think that crafting this curriculum and disseminating it is a, I mean, that, that has a wider impact than just teaching your own kids these principles. Yeah, but it's First Amendment. I mean, if you want to create something for people to teach their kids to be homophobic, racist Nazis, our First Amendment protects your right to do that as long as we still have the First Amendment. But of course, if we want to. And plus, does anyone really, if you're a racist Nazi, do you really need curriculum to teach your kids that? Just let them be around you. <laughs> just, I mean, this is one of the. This, it's these kinds of stories that just bring oh, Jim Jordan and J.D. Vance and now Mike Gibbons. This kind of story, they just bring Ohio into the limelight as being a state that's in serious trouble at the moment. It's today in Ohio. What did Governor Mike DeWine have to say in the first State of the State address of his second term? Laura, it was about the children. All about the kids. DeWine has huge plans for kids. I. I I feel like there's a laundry list of things he wants to do. He wants to expand K through 12 school vouchers to make it easier to go to a private school to give parents choice. He wants to provide more money for charter schools, offer state financial aid for community colleges and regional campuses, expand and increase college scholarships. But it's not just school age. He's talking for all the way from maternal health. He wants to increase the money they've been able to help uh, women who are pregnant. They have also... $2,500 per state child tax deduction he wants. He doesn't want to charge state sales tax for a lot of baby supplies, including cribs and diapers. He also is asking lawmakers to approve money to pay for child care for 15,000 more Ohio children and expand Medicaid to cover children adopted through private agencies. Also give more money to county children's services agencies. He says they've been woefully underfunded. So it's a whole lot of things that he's proposing for kids, and he opens talking about kids and how important the future is and how they need to read, and he's talking about the third grade reading guarantee. Now, remember, this is his budget that he's talking about. This is his priorities. It still has to go through the legislature. He can say they're going to approve money for child care, but it has to get through those very Republican bodies of legislators who actually dole out the money. Matt Huffman said he generally likes what he sees, although that's not a a full endorsement. And we heard from some child advocates right after this saying the child care part of this is nowhere near enough. They did. They basically said you you need to expand coverage. You need to up to 200% of the federal poverty level for help. That 15,000 kids is just not enough. 
And I think everybody likes Mike DeWine's vision of Ohio as a great place to raise a family. But a lot of groups take issue with that because they said, you haven't, you know, that that's nice talking points. And, you know, he brings his wife, Fran, up and he talks about the Imagination Library and how many millions of books Ohio kids are getting and all of the good things. But it's not it's not enough to affect all of the kids in Ohio who need help. Well, let's remember, this is the governor that signed the bill that declared natural gas as green energy, <laughs> which is a terrible message to children about the future of the state. So he says he's about the children, but is he really building a future for the children when he is arm in arm with the uh, old fashioned energy companies? I mean, I have no doubt that Mike DeWine cares a lot about kids. He 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 is proposing some really helpful things for families here, but there probably never would be enough, right? Because the systems that we have are broken and just throwing money at the existing ways that we do, you know, that we, we handle childcare or raising families is, is probably not going to fix the problem. It's a start. I'm glad we're talking about it. But you're also savaging the public schools by greatly increasing the vouchers. Fewer people will send their kids to public schools. We're, And there are people in the Republican Party don't want to have public schools. They would rather it all be private. So it's a dangerous kind of moment for public education in the state. Yeah, I mean, the college scholarships, that sounds like a great idea. Wherever you go to high school in Ohio, they want to give a $5,000 a year scholarship if you're in the top 5% of the graduating class for college or university here in Ohio. I mean, I'm all for that, right? That sounds great. But like, let's address the fact that you haven't been giving enough money to the state colleges and, and universities for years. And that's why tuition is out of control. I'll You're tell you what, though, that giving $5,000 to kids who go to college, doesn't that seem a little unfair to the kids who don't go to college and the rest of us are paying for it with our taxes? <laughs> Where does that, isn't that the same argument that they, that they made against, uh, against forgiving loans? I don't know. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> okay. And what about the kids who aren't as smart? Why are they punished? And the rest of us are paying for it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Metro Health responded this week to the first of two lawsuits filed against the hospital system by deposed CEO Akram Boutros. And the response was not limp at all. What does it say, Lisa? Yeah, this court filing for Metro Health attorneys um, said that Boutros, when confronted, admitted to giving himself $1.98 million in bonuses and not disclosing to the board. So, And they say that he created his own supplemental bonus program. And um, I'm sorry, he made no effort to inform the board that he created his own supplemental you know, bonus program. And they said, in fact, to the contrary, he concealed that fact. Resolutions on performance-based incentives that the, the, the state board sets performance goals for the system, the president, and the CEO, and then the CEO sets performance goals for senior leadership. And they, they say that that language is unambiguous. Um, they also say that Boutrous claimed that uh, the board violated the Open Meetings Act and their search for the next CEO is a false story of retaliation, deflecting from his own conduct. But Boutrous attorney Jason Bristol fired back, basically saying the same thing. He said that Metro Health is intent on peddling some false narrative used to malign Boutros and deflect attention from the board's negligent and malicious conduct. So there you have it. Yeah, you're trying to talk about deflect here, but the, but the one thing that is not 
in conflict, everybody agrees on, is that he awarded himself that money without telling the board he was awarding himself that money. And, and let's face it, whether the laws are broken or whether he, it, what goes on in this lawsuit, it doesn't really matter. If you take what happened to any common sense person and say, do you think it's okay for an employee to set their own performance standards, measure themselves on their own against the performance standards, rate themselves, and then award themselves the resulting money without any oversight is okay? Do you think anybody's going to say, yeah, that's the way it should happen? And apparently, you know, the board is saying that, uh, you know, that they, that the process is pretty clear. But what's interesting is that the CEO sets goals for senior leadership. And as we know, they got some pretty hefty bonuses. Some would might, some might call that hush money. Yeah. I mean, this is all about what's right, what's wrong. And I don't think there are many people that look at this and say, that Boutros is in the right. We'll have to see what all the investigations turn up as to whether this becomes something for the courts. What's clear is the hospital is mincing no words in responding to this. This was kind of a body slam of responses. First and foremost being the contract clearly says the board will set his performance standards and measure him. You have to kind of wonder why they didn't do that, though. Right. I, I, there's a little bit of culpability there, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cuyahoga County did not give residents the chance to challenge their new property values last year through an informal process, something they had done in previous cycles. But property owners do now have the formal process and the appeal period has a deadline. What is it, Layla, and what's the process? So you can file your complaints with the Board of Revision through March 31st. You can file online through the board's website using a valid email address. will let you bypass the notary requirements. And the Board of Revision has created an online step-by-step visual guide to walk residents through this process. You can also print or pick up a physical copy of the form and send it in. But if you do that, you have to get that notarized. So take note of that. And and the more evidence you provide to shore up your proposed valuation, the stronger your case will be. Hearings will be virtual. They'll be in person. They'll be by phone. They're really trying to be as accommodating as possible for folks. When we've reviewed this in the past, the people have a pretty good success rate, right? Uh, yeah. And I know that from experience. I have gone before <laughs> this board one time and and I, I succeeded in my I'm pretty sure I made some really bogus arguments, but <laughs> I try. I was going to throw all the spaghetti at the wall to get that valuation to go down. <laughs> and from was experience, huge- if you do go in person to contest your valuation, I recommend you go nine months pregnant and appear that your last reserve of energy went into appearing at that hearing. <laughs> it's very effective. <laughs> all right. We'll have to measure it when it's all over to see what kind of success people had. It's today in Ohio. This is a good one from the weekend that we didn't get to. Microplastics are a big threat, and it turns out they're in waterways everywhere. What is happening in Cleveland, Laura, that might offer a partial solution to this problem involving an activity that all of us participate in? This is a really cool story from Pete Krause. We're talking about a recent Case Western Reserve graduate and two seniors. They're all fraternity brothers, and they founded this company called Cleaner, Inc. It's 
all caps, there's no second E, so clean R. And they want to design a washing machine filter that prevents microplastics in the wastewater of a washing machine from being discharged into the sewer. And microplastics are a huge problem that we don't really know how to address as a society because they are so small. Minuscule scrapings from discarded plastic bottles that are exposed to the elements, flecks of tires rubbed free with friction on the road, tiny fibers from the clothing that you wear, um, being thrashed around in the washing machine. And so these are everywhere. I mean, they're all over the Great Lakes, um, millions of pounds of microplastics. They're in our drinking water, which is, I don't, you don't even want to think about what it's doing to your body, right? So they are deciding, they're coming up with this filter. They've actually pushed back internships and real jobs to focus on their company. They've got seed money and their design is top secret. All they will say is inspired by nature and that it's mechanical. They have a patent pending and they used a computer-aided design program and 3D printers for free at the Think Box at Case Western Reserve to make this happen. But their goal is to get this in washing machines and like a lint trap in your dryer, but for your washer. Yeah, I the only part of this that makes me wonder is if if you've ever had a filter on anything, they get clogged pretty quickly. If you, you we had a filter on the drain of the sink where the washing machine goes and it was gross. I mean, it yeah. was something you had to clean all the time. And how many people are going to do that? So I they I wonder in practice how effective a filter like this would be. Well, well go ahead, Lisa. No, go ahead. I was going to say that France is going to be requiring all new washing machines to have filters to remove microplastics by 2025. So some companies aren't going to make this a choice. But I I do think there's something deeply, weirdly satisfying about cleaning junk out of things. Like you're like, oh, that was like a a, ta- a finite task that got done and now it's cleaner. But you're right. It does have to Of course, to you have often. vacuuming Tuesdays in your house, so we know what you are with cleaning. Yeah, dusting <laughs> Tuesday now. I have switched it up, guys. I am wild and crazy. Raise well, your Lisa. hand if you if you agree with what Laura said about cleaning gunk out. Not me. Not, not me. <laughs> Lisa, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I own a couple of pairs of jeans that, you know, proudly labeled when I bought them is said that they were made from recycled plastic bottles. So mm-hmm. I'm wearing jeans made from plastic recycled bottles and I'm washing them. So are they going back into the system now? That's I mean, interesting. Probably. Point. Yeah. And it's, it's, Patagonia has been really big on this in recent years about their fibers. And it's not something you think about, right? But all of the polyester and all the, the tech fabrics that we wear that are made for wicking sweat mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. I mean, cotton's not a problem, guys. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of crap in all that synthetic fabric. So question, does this, can this be retrofitted onto your existing yes. washing machine? Yes. Okay. Another That's question, why don't they make this for our taps so we can not drink microplastics? Right. Oh, wow. To, to, to filter it out before we drink it rather than filter it out from going in the environment. Yeah. I'm sure there's something people working on that. Yeah, that's a good point. But I would like to point out that there were a lot of tests that I've read that there's actually more microplastics in bottled water than there is in tap water. So the Cleveland, and I don't remember, this wasn't specifically Cleveland, but I do believe that the water from your tap is better than anything you're going to buy in a Mm -hmm. bottle. I hope I hope this is successful. I hope it puts Cleveland on the map is great. But I've done a lot of plumbing work, and I'm very skeptical. Plumbing is gross. And <laughs> if this thing isn't made really easy to work with, it's going to gum up people's washing machines, and they're not going to be happy. You are listening to Today in Ohio. 
Why is Akron-based Goodyear Tire and Rubber laying off employees? Lisa, I thought that car sales were starting to come back because supply is starting to increase. But apparently tire sales aren't keeping up. So Goodyear CEO Richard Kramer says the two biggest reasons for these layoffs are that there are uncertain near-term macroeconomic outlooks, which means people are worried about a recession. And he also said inflation. You know, it's necessary to reposition their business for future success. So Akron based Goodyear will cut 500 salary jobs, including 90 in Akron, their home base. That will happen throughout the first six months of this year. That's about 5% of their 72,000 global workforce. And they've already announced closures to facilities in England and South Africa. Now that business unit, Europe, Middle East, Africa, is expected to take an $80 million loss in the last quarter of last year, but they won't have their figures out until later this month. And this actually comes after consistent profits since the second quarter of 2020. But they say that uh, the tire replacement market is really weak right now. Well, I wonder if this could be a ramification of the pandemic. We're we're not going to the office as frequently. We're driving less. Have you all seen reduced mileage on your cars over the past few years compared to previously such that you wouldn't wear out your tires as quickly? Oh, yes, yeah. for sure. Okay. Well, there you go. We just need to go back to the office five days a week and good, good year will be saved. <laughs> You're listening to today in Ohio with some single digit temperatures possible this week. Maybe not. Let's think about the tropics. How is Frontier helping us get there if we want to escape the cold, Layla? Starting May 4th, Frontier is adding new nonstop flights between Cleveland and San Juan, Puerto Rico. They're going to run the route four times a week, Sundays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And fares are going to be as low as $140 round trip, I believe. Was it today that they, when, what day was it that they, when was Susan's story? Well, it's it, they're they're currently selling tickets. Let's just put it that way. Susan tells us that San Juan is one of Cleveland's top markets that are unserved by nonstop service. Ninety to one hundred people travel daily between Northeast Ohio and San Juan via connecting service. In in part, that high number of travelers could be due to the fact that Northeast Ohio is home to a pretty large Puerto Rican population. Forty seven thousand residents in Cuyahoga County claim Puerto Rico as their as their place of origin. Lorain County is home to another. 22,000 people. And the Cleveland announcement was part of a larger frontier expansion in Puerto Rico, which also includes new flights from San Juan to Chicago, Detroit, Baltimore, and, and a bunch of other cities. Yeah, they're starting in May, and you might be thinking, well, May, it's not that cold in Cleveland. We've had snow in May in mm-hmm. Cleveland, and we've discussed how we wonder whether the whole winter has moved a month forward because we're, we're so warm in November and December. So if you get those tickets for May, you still may be leaving a snowy situation. Yeah, I think we should take the newsroom on a, a little field trip and <laughs> work from San Juan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we changed the whole definition of the hybrid work model. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. It's a short episode for a Wednesday. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Courtney will be back next Wednesday. This was a special Layla appearance for a Wednesday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks.